Take the Manga Mavericks 2021 podcast survey. That's right. It's that every year again for us to poll our listeners about what their favorite episodes of our show were last year, their favorite guests, and what they want us to cover in 2022, and who they want to see on the show this year. All that and more you can vote on, you can suggest to us in our 2021 podcast survey. And as a special treat, we are also doing a giveaway for everyone who takes the survey, where six lucky winners are going to be able to win a book of their choice for a selection of titles curated by myself and Colton that includes multiple volumes of Banana Fish, the first one in several series like My Solo Exchange Diary, Way of the House Husband, Video Girl Eye, Golden Conway, and more, and of course, a collection of Backlog Shonen Jump issues, and the MHA World Heroes Mission theatrical giveaway booklet manga. So many great prizes are available through our giveaway, and the only way to get them is to take our podcast survey. You still got about two weeks to poll closes on February 13th, and we are really looking forward to reading out your responses, and we hope you look forward to listening to them in our traditional podcast survey episode. But that's enough promotion for now, so let's get back to the podcast proper. Hello, darlings! Welcome back to Hashtag Lum Squad, a podcast that we're discussing the wonderful and wacky world of Rukutakashi's Yersei Yatsura. I'm your host, Alarm Ramiyasha, welcome you to our first episode of 2022, and to give you guys some updates before we head into our episode proper. Discussing the exciting announcement of the new Yersei Yatsura All-Stars Reboot Anime coming later this year. Believe it or not, this was the very first podcast we recorded this year. Literally, we recorded this episode right at the stroke of midnight on January 1st, 2022. So excited to discuss the new anime news, we couldn't wait to record. I just feel bad that I couldn't release this episode as timely as we recorded it. What with this coming out a good five weeks later. But thankfully, none of what we talk about here is out of date yet. Unlike our discussion of the Lums Up Song reboot singles that Izumi Kobayashi started putting out last November that we did talk about on a previous recording for an episode that we haven't released yet. So I've instead spliced it into this episode rather than keep you waiting for our thoughts on that. But even if it's a little late, this episode is still very special because it is our worst episode to have special guests. That's right, we're joined by We Lord. My brother and host of many podcasts, including the Shikaki on Focus podcast, Saturday Night Shoggy, and Sakaki, co-host of Saturday Night Shoggy, and webmaster of the weekly Shogakukan edition blog and Twitter, whose tweet about the anime reboot news went viral hours before it was officially confirmed. 
We discussed our reactions to the leaks before the official confirmation came in, our thoughts on the new studio and actors attached to the project, what stories we expect to be adapted, and whether we think the new show will broaden Yurisiatsu's worldwide popularity with a whole new generation of folks. But before we dig into our discussion, I just quickly want to shout out two Yurisiatsu-focused articles that I think would be of great interest to our listeners. For those who may not know, we usually do the segment called Community Shoutouts to respotlight articles and videos from other folks that we think are really worth sharing to our listeners on our podcast. And we normally only do this on the Monday Rich Podcast, but since these pieces were so yourselves to focus, I really thought Lum Squad listeners should hear about them and should know about them. Because they're really great. The first piece I want to highlight is a beautifully written essay by Helen Shazen for Soul Rad caused Ryunosuke's transition in which she reflects on how the series' different examples of women of femininity give her great comfort as well as entertainment as a trans woman, and how in particular Ryunosuke's character and arc of trying to find her own feminine identity resonates with her own story, experiences, and emotions in her own transitioning journey. And listeners know that Ryunosuke is a character that means a lot to me. I've discussed her character under a queer lens and reading her as a trans woman before, and so I really resonated with Helen's piece a lot, and she articulated feelings about this character and the series that I've often expressed, but I don't think I've ever been able to put into words as poignantly and precisely as Helen has. And to quote a comment I left on her piece uh, itself, I empathize so much with Helen's frustrations about having so many feelings about the series that it's hard and challenging to put them into a coherent essay. Because Years of the Outer is my favorite series ever, and I've tried many times to write about everything that compels me to it that I found beneath the surface of the gags, and even the artistry of the gags themselves, but there's just so much there, I don't even know where to start. And so, you know, I've kind of been okay with just talking about the series at length on Lum Squad instead, but her piece, man, it just really makes me want to reach back into my own heart and pull out all the messy feelings I have about Ryanosuke and the series and what it means to me in my own life's journey in the same way she has beautifully outlined in her own piece. And Helen has made many wonderful lessons about Takashi that I worked before, namely how much she adores Kyoko from her Sonokoku and a thematic explanation and examination of victimhood and mermaid scar which I also highly recommend reading those pieces. Her perspective on Takashi's work is always thoughtful, insightful, and she's become one of my favorite critics of her work, and I'd love to read even more pieces about Uai and her work in the future. The next piece I want to highlight is actually a translation that's sourced and quoted in Helen's article, and that's a translation of Natsumi Fusunosuke's article on Takashi Rumiko and the turning point in the history of manga and anime from the Takashi Rumiko book and Shikakan's manga artist series that was published in 2019. This essay was translated by John Holt into Bifukuda, and it explores Takashi's work, namely Yurisiatsura, being the turning point for romantic comedy as a genre of manga, opening it up to the shonen demographic for the first time really through Yurisiatsura, and through Lum popularizing the Baishoujo as a concept in a way that was appealing to both boys and girls. It makes the great point that the premise of your Yurisiyatsu being that Ataru is a trashy guy that nonetheless is still loved for who he is by a beautiful girl is totally the foundation of modern shonen rom-coms and harem works. And it's so interesting to think that that concept, that trope, 
was built off of the established perspective of shoujo romances of the time, which featured plain girls longing for beautiful boys to love them, and simply flipped that dynamic for the male demographic in a way that was very appealing and reached into the hearts and desires of many boys and the otaku culture at the time. And that was an innovation that only someone like Takashi, a woman coming into a male-focused space in shonen manga, could engineer and invigorate from a perspective that no one had successfully considered and executed before. The quote in the article that Helen quotes and that also resonates with me, that gender in Takashi's work is something like a soft ball, which can be squeezed into the shape of a gore that has both a male end and a female end, is such a sharp observation of how Takashi plays with and explores gender identity, dynamics between men and women, and relationships across her different works. And our observations are how Takashi plays with archetypes and tropes in parody rooted in duality and depicts multiple perspectives in her works through her characters. It has just a fantastic perspective and analysis of Takashi's works as innovative in its historical context and gave me really a lot to think about, especially as a longtime fan of Takashi's. And I think it's just a great read for any Yurisei Atra and Takashi fan to just think about her works in that historical context. And it's just so wonderful to read such thoughtful analysis and critiques of Yurisei and Takashi's work like these. It really makes me excited for all the new perspectives and analysis the series could get when the new anime comes out and popularizes the series for a whole new generation and audience. And on that subject, let's talk about that new anime. Let's talk about what we are excited about, what we're expecting, as we get a new Yatsura for a new generation, a whole new era, a whole new decade, 40 years later. So yeah, let's head into our discussion proper and put Weirder Weird together yet again as we discuss this new anime that's sure to make things even weirder. And welcome back to Hashtag Lum Squad, the one and only podcast dedicated to the wonderful and wacky world of Ruka Takashi's Yurisei Yatsura. I'm Ruby host, La Ramiyaja. And I'm Andrew A.C. Yoshimura. And we are bringing in the new year with the news of a new anime. And literally, we're recording this. It's the first podcast either of us are recording the new year. <laughs> For me, it's literally just past midnight in 2022, reacting to the previous day's news, the New Year's Eve gift that was the revelation and announcement of a new Yorosi Officer reboot anime that will premiere later in 2022. It's looking good so far. It was it was quite the news to to go to sleep to and then wake up to. Yeah. So I'm on a very similar time zone to Japan. We're just like a couple of hours out from each other. And yesterday I was streaming the NHK music special for the uh, Lump Squad Discord channel, which is something that my wife loves and I absolutely loathe and I'm forced to sit through <laughs> every year. So... 
during this time, this stuff started popping up on my feed at about midnight, my time. And I was just thinking, oh, that's interesting. What's what's all this? And then by about three o'clock, I had had quite a few drinks and I just, I threw my hat in the ring and I said, it's fake. Mm-hmm. This is fake news. It's it's well done, but I don't believe a word of it. I've 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 been down this road too many times before. I've heard the rumors, you know. I've heard, I've seen the forgeries. I've you know heard that this, that, and the other production company are going to do it. So I said this ain't happening, and then I went to bed. And then I woke up about six hours later to find that I was pretty much confirmed, and I was <laughs> was incredibly wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. When I first woke up in the morning, I saw the news on Twitter and I was like, oh my god. And I literally screamed in my bed, holy uh, expletive. <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately was posting on the Lump Squad Twitter. And then you mentioned to reach out to me saying, you know, we should wait until it's confirmed, you know. Yeah, yeah. You were very trepidatious, very suspicious and skeptical. So we took the tweets down, but yeah, lo and behold, it... Indeed, <laughs> turned out to be true. We had speculated about this when Izumi Kobayashi released the Lums Love Song reboot EPs, the remixes, yeah. earlier in November. And since our listeners have not yet gotten the chance to listen to our discussion of the Lums Love Song remix project, considering that was recorded as part of an earlier episode that will be released later at this point, we will splice in that discussion here for your listening convenience. Keep in mind that this was recorded back in early December 2021, long before we realized that this Lum's Love Song reboot remix project would indeed be the harbinger of the Yurisiyatsu anime reboot announcement. Mm. So, but before we get into that, you have some news, I do believe. Indeed. So, this is interesting. Earlier this month, it was announced that the original theme song of Yurisiyatsu, the iconic Lums Love Song, as sung by Yuku Matsutani, has been remixed by the song's original composer, and arranger Izumi Kobayashi, and that remixed version, a self-cover, was released as Lum's Love Song Reboot. That came out on November 17th. Kobayashi's comment is, it's been a long time since I've released a new song. Everyone involved in this project decided, and something interesting is about to happen. It's also the 40th anniversary of Lone's Love Song, so I did a self-cover by myself. I'm so thrilled. I'm sure it'll be great for everyone who listens to it. Thank you. And and it has been, in addition to this, a remix project from a bunch of other artists all over the world. And so earlier this month, you know, there was some more EP for the remix project by other composers, like one by Hidefumi Kenmochi, one by Street Asic and Limited Toss, uh, one by Tofu Beats. There's going to be more coming 
like next month. It seems that there's a lot of people who are like contributing remixes of Lum's Love Song. And a lot of these are available to listen to just for free, like on the official website for the project, as well as just on Spotify, Apple Music, and the iTunes Store. I listen to these on Spotify, uh, the remixes that are out. And they are, they're certainly remixes, you know, they're more electronic y. They like the the song has been put through some filters and effects and stuff like that. So they're interesting to listen to, like the different interpretations of the song, love song, and the remixes of it. And I think Kobayashi's comment about something interesting is about to happen. You know, it makes me curious. Is this Lum's Love Song reboot remix project a herald for something bigger to come related to your Seatsura? There have been some rumblings and some rumors I've heard going around that potentially there might be an anime reboot project in the works as well. These are just like rumors I've been hearing around from other people, but nothing concrete yet. So it makes me wonder. I've heard though. a few of those as well. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that um, you do hear rumblings every now and again. And there's probably, to be completely fair, like there is probably some interest because Lum is such an enduring character in Japan to the point where people know that she's Lum but don't even know the name of the original series. So. It's probably always in some producer's mind, can we reboot this, you know, for the 21st century, uh, for the Reiwa era? I don't, I don't think it's concrete. No, until there's something worth... like officially announced, I would not. Yeah, I, I think there's, I think there's probably all, always interest. That being said, like, I don't think anything's going to happen personally, but, you know, they did release a new OVA back in uh, 2008. So mm. you never know. It is possible. These things are always possible. I mean, for all you know, someone may have gotten their right the uh, their hands on the rights to the live action, yeah, uh, <laughs> version <laughs> of it or something. And uh, and you know they might want to produce like a um, like a, a one off forty five minute movie like they did with the Runma half live action one they did. Oh geez, that'd be a decade ago now or something. Yeah, that was also in the arts, late arts. Mm. So, yeah, um, the, I haven't listened to any of these remixes of an Amuro No Love Song yet. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I don't have Spotify. Hopefully it's going to be released on uh, Gramophone. It's about my speed. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure, I'll go, I'm sure I can find the original website and give them all a listen and probably, you know, pump it up really loud so my neighbours can hear, and I'm sure they'll really appreciate that. Yeah, we'll link... To the website where that, that links to all the places where you can listen to it. And yeah, they're worth checking out. They're interesting remixes and interpretations of the song. Mm. And there have been quite a few of those over the years as well. Absolutely. A lot of covers. There's been a jazz version. There has mm. been like a, a remix techno version before that, that has been officially released. So it's good to hear that this is just like the character of Lum and Urusei Yatsara itself. This song just will never die. Absolutely. When that happened, there were rumblings of, is this going to be released in conjunction with something else for Yurisi Is there going to be a reboot of the anime? 
there were rumors rumbling around, and for a long time, I had heard it from other circles too. People talking about rumors of a new university author anime in the works, and connected to this was a rumor that David Productions was pulled from a very big project, or a lot of staff from David was pulled from a very big project to work on what some had dubbed a unnecessary reboot of a classic series. <laughs> and this may very well be that production those people were talking about. <laughs> this would be it. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting when they say unnecessary, because Urusei Yatsura finished. It's not like uh, Ranma, where it just kind of ended. Like There, there, was, a, there was a conclusion to the storyline uh, in the same way that the manga concluded. So as far as everyone was done, other than like some OVAs and then another one in 2008, which was uh, based 40. off a, a story they hadn't done. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was done. Mm-hmm. That was for the 40th anniversary of Shonen Sunday, which is actually yeah. worth bringing up because this reboot anime project is being done for, or as part of, the 100th anniversary of Shigaku-kun. Mm. And 100 years, that's a, that's a long time. A century, yeah. So a centennial celebration. Maybe one of many Shogakikan properties that will see some sort of revivals for the special occasion. And on the subject of Shoggy properties, what better way to introduce our special guest? That's right, for the first time on said we have some special guests on to join us to talk about this news. Ooh. From the Weekly Shogakukan Edition Twitter and from the Saturday Night Shoggy Podcast, we have the Lord and main man himself, Sakaki. Yo. Welcome aboard. Hello, hello. It's nice to be here. Yeah. And Sakaki, we're glad you could join us for this. Like, <laughs> not just like, you know, <laughs> online, but in person. <laughs> We've been hanging out all week and it's just so serendipitous that you broke the news while in our guest room earlier in the morning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like you tweeted it out on the Weekly Shigakukan edition. Would you like to talk about like where you discovered the news and then your reaction to the crazy amount of like social media attention, like posting it on the Twitter? So I happened to be, I woke up this morning, I was just kind of flipping through Japanese Twitter looking for, you know, um, the weekly Shogaku condition mainly deals with Shonen Sunday stuff and of course including one. And yeah, I was just looking for New Year's greetings so, so we could tweak them out and share them with people. And then, I happened to be on like a Japanese blog that was like one of the, the blog basically was just like, is this real or not? And then I looked at it. I'm like, I almost scrolled by it and I saw the no time thing. I was like, oh, wait, is this real? And probably in the lapse of judgment, I ran with it. <laughs> Usually I'm a little bit more discerning, but I just said, you know what? Uh, let's go for it. And so I put it out there. And so I started looking at other Japanese, uh, Logs and a lot of them were all saying the same thing. Is this real? And nobody else was talking about it. So the whole day I was kind of wondering, did I pull the trigger too soon on this? Should I delete this tweet? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and apparently one of the big leakers, like, I guess they assumed I got it from them. 
because I got blocked by them on Twitter. God, that was oh, so funny. Oh. <laughs> so, like, I, it seems like a friend of mine also found it, and, you know, he was... I, I just say this because the timing was really suspect, because, like, he found it, and he tagged me on my personal Twitter, and was just like, well, he didn't tag me. He was just like, oh, is this legit? And then he saw the tweet from WSSTV, and it's like, okay, it has to be legit. And then right after that, the leaker blocked me. So, yeah. and I didn't get the information from them. So it's really interesting that they did that. But yeah, so for the whole day, I've just been in this constant state of just being terrified that somebody will be like, no, that's completely fake, or Shogakukan will come after me or something. So luckily, while we were watching the movies, like, the website went up. So that gave me a little bit of. A little bit of relief, and then finally it was revealed <laughs> that it was the real deal. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy that I I've, I was saying to be Lord and Lum that I, I don't think we're gonna go. I don't think I'm gonna ever break news again. It's just too much for my my <laughs> fragile psyche. I, I don't mind at this point. I don't mind being the guy that reports the news second or third or it because <laughs> yeah, I don't understand how leakers can do this and not go insane. It's like gambling. Yeah. You risk every time. <laughs> it is a bit, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I had a feeling it had to be legitimate because, I mean, yeah, the the actual, you know, image, the key art, that could be faked, but then I also found, like, a uh, signature and illustration from Takahashi, and I just don't, like, we were discussing it, I just don't think that they, that a leaker would go that far. And fabricating something just to be like, haha, I got you, you know. Yeah, you are a braver man than I because I, me, seeing that without confirmation, I would be just so nervous, and I just, I don't think I could post it. Like, I just don't think I could mm. put the news out there as myself and then go, oh my god, I'm wrong. I feel so bad about this. Yeah, no, that I, was, I didn't mean to lead so many people on. That, that was that was pretty much my feeling all day long. I mean, it only happened, it's funny, because it happened with Takahashi News before. It was when Yashihime was announced. A lot of what was going around on the internet was that Mao was getting the anime. But the oh, thing, yeah. the thing yeah. is that in the magazine, they only sells Rumiko Takahashi News. So a lot of people assume because Mao's in the magazine, it must be a Mao anime. Then when the cover of the magazine came out, it was Yashihime. So a lot of sites... And it was funny because a lot of sites were reporting it as a Mao anime because of, you know, some leakers having it. But then we, I guess I was the first one to kind of point out that no, it's Yasha Kune. But it's a new Yasha related thing, not Mao at all. <laughs> it was interesting seeing, like, the very first rumblings of this when people started DMing me and just asking me on Twitter. Uh, and then me pretty dismissing it, thinking, oh, it, like, if it's a. Moving from the fact that I think it's a forgery, but I think it's like a well-done forgery. And part of why I thought it was a forgery is because it seemed like the perfect time to um, to kind of put this fake news out there because it's Year of the Tiger. Yeah, yeah. But that's also why they're doing it now on New Year's because it's Year of the Tiger. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's the perfect day and time to announce it. Like, what a way to ring in the Year of the Tiger. Yeah, I think that's um, that's what made me suspicious, <laughs> but it was also just like good marketing as well. Mm-hmm. Like watching this go from a rumor, and then I got uh, my wife to look up because she's Japanese, 
uh, Japanese Twitter um, to try and confirm or like deny any of this, and she wasn't getting any hits on this whatsoever. Just the only thing she saw is what I saw, so I, that's kind of what made me think at first, ah, it's probably not real, but, you know, whatever. And then my opinion definitely changed from the time I went to bed to the time I got up, and it was basically just plastered all over my Twitter feed. And this was still, like, four hours before the website went live. Yeah. And all of this, like, new information started getting out, and I thought, actually, no, this is this is looking super legit, because it's now pointing to a website and Takahashi's account is following um, the All-Stars account now. So I think that was definitely the confirmation point for me, is that, yeah, this is real. Absolutely. Like, once that Twitter account went up, once Takahashi followed that, once Takahashi was retweeting the news, that's when you know this was legit. And also yeah. more details came out during the day. Like, the teaser image that people had seen going around was revealed to have been printed in the Sankai Shimbun. It's like a full-page New Year's advertisement. Mm. And so once we got, like, more confirmation, like, physical proof that, like, this news was happening, it was legit, that's when people were able to be more confident. Oh, my God, this is exciting. This is happening. And then mm. what did you know... The countdown on the website at 1 p.m. Japan time, you know, a countdown revealed a bunch more information, including a teaser trailer, which shows us a newly animated lob, turn her head in action, really good design, really amazing what they're doing with the hair. They are still mm. emphasizing green, but now it is also incorporating the translucent look Lum's hair has in the manga. So it has yeah. a tinge of pinkish, purplish, bluish color that seeps into the edges of the hair. And we have like the black highlights that make it so distinctive in the manga as well in Takashi's color illustrations. So they are really looking to replicate that look. And that makes me very excited. And we got new character designs revealed for Lone and Ataru Boat. In addition to that, yeah. we got the revelation of their new seiyu. Yes, sadly, uh, Tosho Kurokawa and Umi Hirano are not going to be returning as Ataru and Lum, but they have cast some really cool new actors to take up their mantles, hmm. I would say. And they got um, they got the two original uh, seiyu on, on the All-Stars site to comment as well, so... Mm -hmm. They they really designed this so because everyone knew that both voices are so iconic yeah. from the original that people would go to them immediately and ask, did you know about this? How do you feel about it? And they preempted this by putting their comments up on the website with a couple of Q&As. So I think that was a clever way of dealing with that right yeah. off the bat. It was good for them to give their blessing, especially because Furukawa is active as a voice actor. Like, he's oh, still yeah, doing yeah. Piccolo, so, you know, no reason he couldn't still do Taru, but, you know. It's funny, because both he can of them still are do the, He can still do the laugh. It's funny, because both of them are still active on Detective Conan, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And Furukawa got recasted in the Kumakun reboot as his own role there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Yeah. Fumi Hirano is definitely best known for long, but it is true that she is playing Wakasa in Detective Conan. 
not a mm-hmm. frequently recurring character, but you know, still fairly prominent uh, in terms of like a major character. So she is still active as a voice actress, even though she doesn't have a ton of other roles. But yeah, no, it's good that they were able to give their blessing. And I do think the new actors for Taro and Love will do probably a really good job. Like, Kami, I recorded a video, like, basically kind of, you know, talking about being cast and then, like, kind of doing the impression of Atari. So that was cool. I kind of, because I was just going to point out, I kind of hope that he puts his own spin on it rather than just trying to do Furukawa. an impersonation yeah. of Furukawa, because it, it's, it's going to come off a bit cheap and a bit weird if he just tries to do that voice. Mm-hmm. I agree. But, I mean, Kamiya is, of course, you know, the veteran actor known for many iconic roles. Law from One Piece, Levy from Attack on Titan, and Araragi, someone make sure to point out to me on the Lum Squad Twitter. So, you know, Araragi from Monica Tari. So, you know, like, he's done many very prone, very beloved characters. He can work the range between doing more serious roles and more goofy roles. I think Isaiah from Dorara is a great example of that. So, I think he'll be able to pull it off very well. And similarly, I think Samuri Osaka as Lum is pretty good casting. Because among, like... Her many roles includes Nagatoro from the Trevi Nagatoro, which, if that is not like a modern day descendant of Lum as a character, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> who else is. So she did a great job as Nagatoro in that show. I think, you know, she can bring that same energy to Lum and it'll turn out real well. That's not a comparison I was expecting at all. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think of Lum and Nagataro in the same category. Have you seen how pushy Lum is? I mean, I know you don't actually have that much experience with Yurise, but I would say, especially early Lum, a lot of similarities between the two. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, early early Lum is a lot more kind of feral, I suppose, in a way. <laughs> like, yeah. a lot more uh, demonic. A lot more mean-spirited. Definitely a little more yeah. of a bully, much like Nagatoro herself. I really love the, like, photo uh, visuals that they, both actors did for this series. Like, with them with their characters being portraying. I think Usaka's with Lum is especially cute. But also, yeah, like... with the ice cream. Yeah. Kamiya, like, and the taro, like, touching palms. Or, you know, kind of air-touching palms, obviously. But that's really cool visuals. Oh, I'm super curious to see um, the designs because Ataru, like he, he of course has his gentle side, and that's probably mm. what they're gonna put first when they put him out there. How you do Ataru in the 21st century is probably going to be an interesting question that's going to be answered. Yeah, there's still pervert characters in anime, so there is. I would say it's a, it's that a little different though. Maybe, mm. but I mean, have you seen Sanji in One Piece? Still one of the most beloved, popular characters, whose one of his defining dreams and wishes was to have the invisible devil fruit so he could spy on women in women's bats. One of the most beloved heroic characters. <laughs> That's one of his core motivations. You know, I think that uh, we'll be fine. There's still a lot of them out there. There's still a lot of perverts in anime, but uh, boy, is Ataru very handsy. Yeah, I think that <laughs> part, I think, should be toned down. I would 
hope yeah. that that would be turned down because that's an unnecessary part. Because flirtiness mm. is the most important part of Ataro. Because Ataro, of course, as we talked about before, is someone who just, you know, likes to have a good time. He just likes the game of flirting with women more than anything, more than any actual commitment or end goal. He just likes the pursuit more than anything. So if he you likes just the game. emphasize that aspect of it and less of like the, you know, again, more physical aspects of his perviness that, that was emphasized at times in the original manga anime, I think that we shouldn't have too much of a problem. Hopefully not. Yeah. I'm interested to see who picks up, because I'm sure someone is going to pick up the international rights. Yeah. Maybe like Crunchyroll or someone like that. So I'll, I'll be very interested to see if that gets picked up and if, you know, we eventually get a physical version of this. I will hope so, unless it's Netflix, which hopefully not, you know, if it's Netflix, so yeah. the physical, we could throw that out the window. But I would love to see Viz, obviously, known for handling most of Takahashi's properties, except the original Yurisei Outsider anime. If they could get their hands on the reboot series, I think that would be a great choice for them. Especially since they don't do a lot of new pickups anyway, so if they make mm. this like one of their pickups this year, I think that'd be good. But we'll see. For more details about like how the anime is coming out, it's going to be airing on the Nomi Tamina block on Fuji TV later in 2022. We don't know like the exact season yet, but considering no. the timing of this announcement, I would not expect it any earlier than summer, and I'm most likely leaning towards fall at this point. Fall would make the most sense since uh, Call of the Night is airing on Noi Tamina in July. Yeah, so you'd have two shocky shonen in the anime kind of swap each other out in that time slot. And obviously for the next two, basically the first half of the year, has the slots have already been decided. Absolutely. Uh, like the anime, people actually already know what's going to be coming out. Mm-hmm. They work at least six months ahead. Fuji TV is interesting. Just a little bit of history here. Obviously, Urusei Atsara premiered on Fuji TV in 1981 in October. Mm-hmm. And during the Showa, the late Showa era, uh, which is the basically the 80s, uh, Fuji TV was one of the biggest names in Japanese uh, free-to-air television. They got a lot of the exclusives. They had a lot of the best shows. They had a lot of the anime, a lot of the drama, uh, and a lot of a whole bunch of these were on Fuji TV, and they were at the top of the world. And you know, the, the, it was the eighties; everyone had money to throw around, so the, the competition was fierce. But Fuji TV kind of ruled the airwaves back then in a lot of categories. Mm. And it's sad to say that since since Heisei. They've just kind of been, which is like the 90s, they've just kind of been on a steady, slow decline, and they'll, they'll sometimes perk up. But um, yeah, the, the general feeling in Japan is that um, Fuji TV is not doing so well at the moment. Hmm. So it's no wonder that they've decided to revive this, you know, hype on nostalgic hit for a lot of people. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely see... You know, in the train of nostalgia we have these days, a lot of stations, networks are pulling from their older properties to revitalize them in order to attract interest from lapsed fans of 
their networks and then potentially attract new crowds through the interest of a revitalized older series as well. And we've definitely seen some big returns from a lot of reboots of classic properties in recent years as well. I mean, and that David brings us to the production company. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They are well known <laughs> for high profile remakes or adaptations of classic manga series. Of course, David Production, who is handling the production of the New Year's Outer anime, is most famous for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. They have also done the Captain Tsubasa 2018 anime remake series. Mm. And very popular in Japan, that. Indeed. V-Lord, you might know some other like high profiles <laughs> off the top of your head. I feel like those are the two big ones. I mean, those are the two big ones. They also did Level E. So, oh, yeah, they did do Level E. You know, e. classic Tagashi manga under the radar between Yu Yakusho and Hunter, but also like a classic manga they got new life in the early 2010s. How do you guys yeah, how do you guys feel about Studio Pieru not being chosen to do the production again for this? Oftentimes a lot of times these days the studio for a remake of a series is not the same for you know the new series as it was in the past, so I'm not surprised. And I think Pero would have probably been a good home for it as well. Obviously, they do put out some really strong work on a lot of their shows, including their long-runner shows. Like, Boruto often has some really strong episodes. But, yeah, I don't have that much attachment to Yurisiatra needing to be done apparel, because to begin with, you know, Yurisiatra's first half had a different studio to begin with, so I'm not like too attached or like too. Yeah, yeah. I I just found it interesting. Like I think it's good that it's going somewhere else and that they're going to do a different production because it's gonna it is going to be a different series. Whether it's a complete reboot or whether they just kind of kind of kind of introduce the characters as as if they're known, nobody really knows yet. I well, imagine that they're just going to reboot the whole thing. The information that has come out implies that, so the show is called Yurisi After All-Stars, and information yeah. from the site indicates that the new anime is going to adapt selected stories from the manga, and it will overall be a four-core production. So mm, Now that is interesting. So it's basically a year's worth of episodes, yeah. probably between 48 and 52, yeah. um, whatever they can scrape by with. But it's only, it's going to be in four blocks, so you're gonna yeah you're gonna see it in kind of seasons, I suppose, and it's not going to be all in one year. Yeah, like, they're going to take a break between that seasons. The first I think. season is going to premiere this year. So whether they break between yeah. every core, every two cores, we don't know. But all in all, they're planning on four cores, and I am guessing that they're going to you know it's going to be a best of of the manga. So they'll pick some of the most iconic stories and adapt it in the new series. So I don't think we'll see every story for sure. We're not going to see every story in just 50 episodes. I no. would hope, I would love to see stories that were in the manga, but were never adapted in the original anime, in the new anime. I think there are a few storylines in particular that would be good to adapt 
I think perhaps one of the most important ones we've discussed this before is the early chapter where they go to the future and they see Atara's child in the future and they have this mindless understanding of who the mother is. And I think that's like an integral story to just have early on the show thematically to lead into mm. a favorite to adapt Inaba the Dreammaker in the new series. I also think on the subject of Inaba, the follow-up to that story where Shinobu meets Inaba again and they kind of have, you know, goes through a trial to have like a date. And then at the end of that, they finally actually get together is a story I would love to see adapted because that's like kind of a truer conclusion to Shinobu's character arc just after Inaba the Dreammaker. So I would love to see that story get adapted. There's a lot of nice stories from the manga. There are about 50 chapters from the manga that were never adapted in the old show. So yeah. it'd be nice. Well, the show was running concurrent with the manga yeah. at the time. So there was a lot of episodes of the anime that, you know, that the manga had to kind of catch up with. <laughs> yeah. They made a lot of their own original stories because they had to. They ran out of source material, effectively. I mean, the interesting thing about that, though, is that they adapted from all over the place in the manga. Like, you'd have chapters, like, early on. It skipped all over. In the first dozen, and then you'd skip two chapters in the hundreds. And, yeah, there are still early chapters, like the one mentioned before, that were not adapted ever during the course of the show. Like, Mm. by the end of the show's run... Like, they had returned to actually adapting some of the chapters they had skipped before. Like, one of the la- the last episode of the anime adapts a chapter that was, like, in the late tens of volumes that they had just skipped mm. before. And they had, like, gone way past it at this point. Like, the series was in, like, the 300s of chapters at that point. So, you know, like, they were adapted from all over the place. And... There were only like about a dozen-ish anime original episodes. There actually weren't that many, but they did a good job of like kind of fleshing out a lot of single chapter manga stories or combining stories to make full-length episodes. So it'll be interesting to see whether they like. They're probably not going to do like half-half episodes, like fifteen minutes on one chapter and then 15 minutes in another they may it depends on which stories they adapt if they adapt more yeah. of the like multi-chapter storylines i think those will just be done in single episodes if they just start to have similar chapters they may do what the old show did and combine thematically or topically relevant chapters together into a single story or they could do the half half approach of just adapting one single chapter in the first half and another one in the second half. Or they could do a mix of all those approaches. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, for all we know, these episode lengths might only be 15 minutes each. That is true. And they they might end up doing, like, it might be 50 episodes, but it might just be 15 minutes each. It probably won't be that. They've probably ordered, you know, like a half hour slot. Yeah. Because it's Fuji TV. But it would be interesting to see, because a lot of the chapters, although they're different chapters, they have a similar locale or a similar time of year. Because when when the original manga was coming out, it was seasonal. Mm-hmm. Like, it would it would go with the seasons. It was Christmas time. It was school holidays yeah. time. It was, um, it was summertime, wintertime, etc. Like, when these issues came out. Yeah. I will be interested to see if they develop the early stuff, whether Lum will be like the original kind of evil demonic version of Lum, who was <laughs> yeah. much more angry, possessive, 
really bitchy towards Shinobu. Yeah. And kind of treat Shinobu and Ataru as the um, the main kind of anta- protagonists. Yeah. Who you think at the beginning should end up together. Yeah, because... So it'll be interesting if they do that or not, because the characters are so well-known and iconic, especially in Japan now, that it might be a bit difficult to do that, to go back and say, oh, one was actually like this at the start. She isn't like the bubbly personality that you know, you know, from episode 10 onwards. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they adjust the characterizations to make it more like what people expect from the characters or they stay true to the spirit of the original manga and show the development and the changing of the dynamics as was portrayed in the manga. Because I think that was kind of, if maybe unintentionally, still integral to your understanding of the characters and how they changed over time. If you read the beginning of the series and you see how their characterization shifted over the chapters and how that affected their relationships. And you do lose that in the original anime because starting off, like, Lum, she still has kind of that mean-spirited streak towards Shinobu, but she is, like, more portrayed as soft earlier on. And Ataru especially, his perviness is emphasized far more early on in the original anime than it is in the manga. I think the best scene, the best example of that is just the opening scenes of the anime and manga, where in the manga, this manga opens with Shinobu slapping Ataru over a misunderstanding of him maybe looking at another woman. Whereas in the anime, it's him like literally drooling over ladies and getting hit in the <laughs> face with a baseball. Like, Ataru's early characterization, as we discussed before on the show, is that he was most importantly unlucky. That was his defining characteristic. He had, like, yeah. a little interest in women, but that was not his defining personality trait. Well, he, like, he, he was, was effectively no more, with Shinobu. Yeah, he for was better committed or worse. to Shinobu as his girlfriend, as mm. the one he wanted to be with. Like, he was no more pervy or interested in other women any more than the other men around him. Like, certainly, I don't think in the early chapters he was as obsessed with other girls as the early prototypes of the Stormtroopers were with Lum in the manga. But, obviously, by the second run of the manga, like, after the first five chapters of the station period, and a few chapters into the second run of the manga... Uh, the second short-term serialization period. Like, around the time Takashi was introducing, like, more, like, at the time, one-off, like, female alien characters like Oyuki and Benton, that's when we saw a shift in Atari's characterization to be like, oh, he's more interested in other women, and he is kind of pervy, kind of a flirt. And they mm. kind of try to reflect that shift in Atari's personality, I think that will be really interesting because I do think that affects your understanding of the character and the nuance of the character as he develops over time. Because another thing that I have felt with the original anime was that because they adapted stories out of order, you had stories where Taro was more affectionate towards Lum adapted earlier on than stories, you know, that had come earlier where he was not, you know, as fond of Lum and as kind to Lum. And that created some sort of inconsistency in his characterization in their relationship that you 
isn't well, as... at that point, it was just episode of the week. Yeah, you know? but... Uh, you know, everything was reset back to zero, I think, a lot of the time in the anime. And then it just... Yeah. You go, oh, that was a sweet moment. And then it goes on to the next bit. There was... But you see that subtle shift in the manga that... Early on. Takashi yeah, exactly. kept more consistent as she understood and was figuring out the characters. Like, I think it's very important to have a storyline, like, after you've gone happen before the great matchmaking operation whereas in the anime the great matchmaking operation is like episode 22 whereas after you're gone it's 44 so it's like hmm. you know the lengths Ataru will go to you know to be with Lamar to show his affection for Lam is like your understanding of that is completely warped it's warped and understand like how much he feels towards Lam in the anime as compared to the manga where there's more of a consistent progression in how the characters treat one another. Like, as we kind of have been discussing on the manga, like, even in other character relations, like the relationship between Atar and Shinobu, there's kind of more of a consistency in how we see Takashi write the interaction between the characters that can come across in the anime where they are adapting you know, chapters from later on the series and back to early on the series and not really adjusting for that. Hmm. I think we should move on to what our expectations or what we kind of hope for in yeah. this new series. Well, I would like just to briefly mention uh, just some of the other production staff very quickly. Oh, sure, yeah. So the co-directors announced for the anime for David production are Hideo Takahashi, best known for directing JoJo's Golden Wind, part five of the JoJo's anime, and Yasuhiro Kimura, also known for JoJo's Golden Wind. So... That's an interesting combo of credits. But, you know, I think that also leads into our thoughts on, um, like, what we might expect from the adaptation later on. But just also uh, go over who's overseeing the scripts. Yuko Kakehara, who's best known for cells and work, is doing the scripts. And character desire is now Yuki Asano, who's doing Mr. Osamaku, and I did Keep Your Hands on Azerkin, which actually is quite appropriate. Uh, considering Mr. Osamaku had really great characters, is a really great example of how to modernize classic anime character designs. And funny enough, I remember. I really enjoyed that series. Yeah, I remember when we recorded the manga Mavericks on Yuri's Yatsura. I even joked about like Yuri's Yatsura having like a Mr. Osamaku style reboot aesthetically, and then part of like the cover image for that, the thumbnail I drew for that. Was like the Ozumata characters, like, you know, kind of interacting with the USA universe. Like, you know, I had Drew the Ozumata's, like, trying to, like, woo Kurama. And then I also, like, use that aesthetic uh, inspired for, like, the other drawings I did as part of that thumbnail. So I just thought that was a funny connection that came to pass in actuality. But yeah, no, a really great character designer who does great work and really solid directors. And yeah, to go into our thoughts about like what we might expect from the animation, uh, yeah, I am expecting just in terms of the stories, you know, I think we can easily expect some of the big ones, maybe some surprises. But, you know, I think that the famous stories that we all know, are like we know After You're Gone is going to happen. We know like I Love Darling's yeah. kindness is going to happen. Probably yeah, they'll definitely. do Boy Meets Girl, the final chapter. Stuff like that. But I think that, you know, as whether, like, if they're just going to be one to one to the manga or they're going to take liberties, considering uh, Takashi's uh, and Kimura's pedigree on Goldwyn, 
I think I would hope that they would embellish some of these stories. I think they make some creative choices to add on to these stories in a really cool way that would enhance them, that would flesh them out even more in some areas, in the same way that Oshi uh, and Yamazaki did with the original series. Because the Golden Wind anime, you know, it's a really fantastic adaption of that part of the story because they do flesh out a lot of details in Golden Wind. Like, they add on to character backstories. Uh, they add a lot of extra scenes that, you know, really kind of, you know, prove some of the cohesiveness, even, I think. Uh, like, I really appreciate that a lot. So I would like to see those same sort of, like, liberties uh, taken for new scenes and kind of, like, new interpretations of these kind of classic stories. I think so. I think we've been reading some of the later stories that have just come out in the new volumes, and we've noted that, um, you know, what are ostensibly just, like, one-chapter gag episodes, and, you know, most of them are gag Hmm. gag chapters, but these are often fleshed out with more character moments because they had to. Like, they stopped doing the two two episodes per episode kind of format early on. So they started having to use bigger, kind of longer ones. And sometimes they would just take the concept and flesh it out much, much more. And I think it is good to do that. If you just want if you just want one-to-one to the manga, just go read the manga, <laughs> I think. The one thing I will say, the anime did my boy Kosuke dirty. Yes. I say Get rid of the Lum Stormtroopers. We don't need them in this day and age. They're kind of creepy. Uh, if we're staying faithful to the manga, <laughs> then unfortunately, <laughs> I love Megane. I think Megane's a hilarious character. Uh, Shigeru Chiba, great performance. Maybe my favorite of his characters. He's <laughs> on a lot of amazing characters. But yeah, if we're being faithful to the manga, Megane, not really character in the manga, outside of that character design in the early chapters. So yeah, we have to do without him. And yeah, he has a certain closeness to people's hearts in Japan. Like yeah. the performance is magnificent. I mean, Megane was voted the third most popular Yurisuyatsu character in the Rumikagashi Mega Poll, the NHK poll. Mm, he, he was, he indeed, was ranked yeah. third. They might, they might not be able to get rid of him, but there is something like the way that Kosuke and Ataru kind mm-hmm. of scheme together and gives Ataru like a closer kind of friend yeah. rather than the people who are just trying to use him to get to Lum, I think yeah. is important to his character. I think so too. So I kind of hope that even if the stormtroopers are in there, I really hope that Kosuke is definitely more of a part of it. Yeah. Because he's he's just one of my favorites. Yeah. The topic of of um and this is interesting, this was on the on the Lum Squad Discord channel. Of, like, if they're actually going to show nudity, like, mm. if they're actually going to show what they showed in the manga and the first episode, which did create some controversy at the time. Urusei Ataru was a hit, but it wasn't a hit right out of the gate. Mm. And that was something that people kind of, you know, people yeah. who were watching with their parents at 7.30 kind of went, oh, my God, can you, are they, is, is it this sort of thing? Is that what they're putting on at 7.30 at night? Now, as it went on, it obviously became popular and it's not that sort of anime. However, you know, it is Rumiko Takahashi, so, you know, is there going to be that level of fan service in there? I think it's an interesting question. Yeah, Takahashi does not shy away from the boobies, so, you know, if you're being faithful to her vision, you gotta have one go all, (laughs) like, full exposed. Like, have those girls out right in the open when (laughs) Ataru feels the (laughs) prop. Yep. 
I'm with you. Like, either way, it's not going to affect the story too much. They'll probably hide it behind, you know, like, people's gasping faces or, you know, find some kind of clever oh, way to do it with like, a straw. you're going to have, like, creative light effects. Yeah, light. something stupid like that. But I think they should just go ahead and do it and just say, this is, this is what happened, fuckers. Yeah. But in the original story, like, the original first chapter or the first chapter of the manga is much more kind of fleshed out yeah like there's kind of much more of a competition between ataru and lum and like ataru steals lum's brazier very early on yeah like and he just kind of wears it <laughs> underneath yeah. his shirt he does it before the last day of the race whereas in the exactly anime, yeah. it's like at the very end at the right yeah. last moment he has like his like sucker done that he uses to pull it off of lum you know at this stage, Fuji TV might actually request that they leave it in. <laughs> Just, you know, for tradition's sake. Right. No, it, it's, it's classic. You can't mess with the classic scenes. You know? That's true. That's very true. <laughs> I will just say, one of my tweets that got quite a lot of attention today, I just said, just remember, no matter how the Urusei Yatsura reboot turns out, if it's fantastic or even if it's shithouse, it can't take away from the original anime. <laughs> because movie four, Lum the Forever already did that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even have words for that. It responded with emoji that I can describe <laughs> how I felt about that comment, AC. But, you know, inevitably we are going to have that Lum the Forever discussion where I can say my piece of why that film is really great commentary. There. I think we should have a Patreon so I can come to America or you can come to here so we can be in the same room while we have this discussion. Uh, you know what? I will set that as a Patreon <laughs> goal on the Magabay Patreon. <laughs> and let's make that a goal that we hit this year in 2022, people. We <laughs> <laughs> can work out the details of that later. But man, that would be a fun combo to have in person. Oh my, <laughs> yes. Either you come here or I go to Australia, you know? Yep. <laughs> Either way, sparks are going to fly, and it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I'll just spend the entire time just kicking you under the table, probably. Oh. <laughs> or just shouting at you, like, wrong, wrong again. <laughs> Shut me down every time I try to come to the movies. <laughs> okay, it's probably time to wrap this one up. Do you other guys have anything to add to this? Do you have any hopes or dreams for this series going forward? I've not seen it <laughs> or read it. I know it's really bad. That's right. I came to the Takahashi like table way late. I mean, I read Ranma like as a kid, but I really only got into it when I started WSSTV. So this will probably be my first time to actually watch it. So I'm, I'm hoping that I would be actually super interesting to to get you on the um, podcast again. Yeah. After you've watched it, so maybe like it would be interesting to. Get the opinion of someone who's never read or seen any of the previous anime or or read the manga and just get your first impressions of what you thought of the anime just from scratch. I think that'd be fascinating. I mean, yeah, I'd be down for it. You know, mm. I, I, I've, I'm pretty, looking at the staff, I know some of their credits and everything. So in that sense, I'm kind of looking forward to it to just see, you know, and of course, David Production has a pretty good reputation. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, I, and I would be down to um, come on and give my impressions. I mean, especially if it ends up being split core, then it'd be fun to just, like, wall the show's on break or whatever, you know, to come on and talk about it. I mean, it's always been a show I wanted to watch, but I just never got around to it. 
especially again. It's a big commitment. Yeah, <laughs> especially again since I came to Takahashi really late. I mean, I was one of those people that came with when Yasha aired on TV here. And even then, I wasn't really into Takahashi. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, I like Inuyasha. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So. Something if you throw all of my Sadakoku. Yeah, I want to watch that, too. I mm. do. I do want to watch that. My girlfriend really likes it, so I got to get in on that, too. Another classic Takahashi. Another one that would be interesting to see if we would ever get a remake series. Who knows? Maybe this will pave the way for remakes of all Takashi's classics. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I'm looking forward to Ataru going up to girls and asking them for their line. Yes! Oh my god! I would be so interested. He's gonna, you, that's another he's point have to do conversation. That. Do you think they're going to modernize this? Or do you think they're going to set it in present day? Or make this, you know, a product of time? Period piece. Keep it in the 80s. I want to see Ataru with a smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> I oh want to see that that perverted Sliding ass pervert with a smartphone. Oh, no. <laughs> Eggplant emojis to all the girls. Oh my god. Oh, no. Oh no. I mean, I did make a. That's part of the Yurzi Officer at Thumbnail for the Mind Nights episode. Like a joke about E Girl Rod. Now, wouldn't that be amazing if they just played with that concept in an original story? Oh my God. You know what? I want. I want to see. I want to see Ataru on on um. What's it called? Tinder? Is that what it's called? Yeah. On one of those dating apps. <laughs> oh my God! You know. And just striking out all the time, just like completely, just swiping all the time, and just getting no matches. You know, All Star remake of the comic stories is one thing, but honestly, this is just making me want to see New Year's Yatsura stories. <laughs> <laughs> Them like trying to play with the characters in the modern day, just like Mister Ozawa. Actually, that's. One of the fun parts of that show. Uh, maybe if this show turns out to be really successful in doing the classics, they'll do like a hey, now let's do some modern years the stories. Let's play with the modern day technology, how the characters interact with that, modern day social media and trends and all this stuff. Oh, I'd love that. I would love that so much. I would love a modern, a modernized Urusei Yatsura. I know it's, I know it's fairly timeless because they don't really interact with computers and it's mostly alien technology and all that kind of stuff. But hot damn, do I just want to see, I just want to see those characters in this new world. I reckon that'd just tickle me in a particular way. I reckon I probably won't, but, but it would be fantastic to see. Yeah, I mean, to give my quick take on the anime, like, I've only seen bits and pieces of Urzeatra, but honestly, I'm really excited for this. The staff looks really good, and just the fact that we're going to have a new anime gives me an excuse to, like, show it to my friends who otherwise might not actively seek out an old manga anime like I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that'll be one of the exciting things, like, for folks like... <laughs> V Lord Sakaga here for other folks who have heard of Yurisei but have not checked it out before. Like, this is a great way to introduce the series to them and get mm. them to, like, dig into the original alien the, and the manga and the entire series. So, yeah, I, th- I think this, the year of the tiger, is going to be the year of Lum, 2022 yeah. year of Lum, calling it now. <laughs> yeah, it is her time, it is her year, and it Hopefully it will be a great time. And I joked about it before, but, you know, this New Year's the answer and a reboot, you know, hopefully this will make up for Yashihime being a disappointment. <laughs> the Takashi adaptation we have been long and craving, but it's like, just impresses us and satisfies us all around. 
I mean, think of it this way. It would have to be really bad to be worse than Yashihime. I will <laughs> say... bottom of the bear. Well, there's no source material for them to work off, so of course yeah. it's not going to be good. If only Takashishina drew his manga adaptation of the story first so they could adapt it from that, because his adaptation, by all accounts, is much better. That's because Sheena can actually write a good story. <laughs> and his art is sent us to it. Like, I saw his illustration of Lum. <laughs> commemoration of the news and I was like man I'd love him to do a companion manga to this new show too like his style his interpretation of Takashi here is really strong I will say in terms of again the writing of the new series Yuko Kakehara has worked on Arumuka property before she did scripts for every season of Renee so that was also a fairly good adaptation of Renee so uh, the anime of that was so, fairly that yeah. was fairly accurate, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fairly yeah. one-to-one. So, yeah, I think uh, that's in good hands. I mean, they also did series composition for the Digimon Tri-Films, which are not as well-written. Those get but again, bad. you know, I'm working in an adaptation of a property, of a manga, is a little different than, like, trying to write an original story based on a classic <laughs> franchise. So, you know, I'm leaning towards the work on Renee being a good sign for, like, some strong writing uh, of these classic stories. And the other adaptations they've done here are pretty good, like Chia Hayafuru. Yeah, I know. Chia Hayafuru's uh, great. work. Yeah, yeah. They have the, some real good work on other shows. Again, on uh, other adaptations of really great works. So, yeah. In good hands there. And with that, I think it's time to call it. This was meant to be a half-hour episode, and we've uh, yeah. gone a little bit over, as we as we want to do, as we tend to do. Yeah, I think I'll, this is going to be... And a properly numbered episode at this point because it's long enough. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think this is just an episode. Uh, my only other comment this is just before we wrap up is that Takashi did draw a very nice illustration commemorating the news, and I really like her lum and her mana style. But I think you also mentioned this on the chat AC. Uh, Taru looks uh, kind of off. Looks kind of like one of her generic characters. So. He looks, yeah, yeah, he looks super like, and and Ataru was like. Ataru was in a whole bunch of her early pre-Urusei Atara mm-hmm. manga. Like, basically, all, she just used, like, the cookie cutter template of Ataru for all of the characters yeah. pre-Urusei Atara. And then Ataru developed over time. But he just looks so gentle and not horny yeah. at all. And that's not what I want from an Ataru, damn it. Yeah, the line work just is not as tight. Like, I think the lack of the roundness yeah, of her just- classic design. Hurts it. I also, he looks too nice. Yeah, I think also, yeah, just the eyes. We need a little more strength in her eye lines there. The line work around the eyes. Like, they just look too soft. It just creates that kind of a generic version rather than, oh, this is one of the a lead character of the series. But uh, that's just a quick comment. Otherwise, I actually think her lump hmm. looks pretty strong. Like, I think it's... Just in her new style, like yeah. over the, you know, 40 years she's been drawing, of course, yeah. her, and, you know, 40 plus years. And I think she's had more practice drawing style's long. changed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Has oh, yeah, she hasn't drawn long in ages. <laughs> sharp, she, she has more sharp line work now and, and more sharper designs now in terms of what she uses. But, yeah, I mean, she also has had more practice drawing lum over the years. Like, hmm. she drew lum for the NHK celebratory illustration for the top speed character. She did indeed, yeah. Which was only two years that. ago. So she's she's drawn one more often than I think Ataro. I think Ataro is mm. probably a character she hasn't drawn in a long time. But yeah. No, it's gonna be cool to see again new designs, new interpretations of these characters, 
and the stories and this series we all love. And I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited to talk about it with UAC when it premieres later oh, yes. on the year. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun just talking about every episode, maybe even having on some cool folks who also love you around to discuss the show with us. Uh, I think we're having fun revisiting like this year's in a whole new way. It's really exciting. I hope we can get. I hope we can actually get through the manga first because that's <laughs> going to be very confusing for us. Well, I don't think we'll be able to finish the manga before the end of the year because no, the last volume comes out but... in February 2023. But you okay. know, the early mm. material will adapt the earlier volumes, earlier chapters that we have covered. So I, I think that will be. Fine. I think we will finish covering the manga before the show finishes covering the entirety of the series. So, yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us today for this impromptu special episode, which is actually just going to be a normal regular episode now, which is still special <laughs> <laughs> in and of itself. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, I am at ProdTally on Twitter. And where can we find you guys? Do you guys like to go first? Oh, me? Um, you can find me on Twitter at VLORDGTZ, and you can see all my different podcasts that I do, like the Demon Slayer podcast and Saturday Night Shoggy in my bio. So check that out. All right. Will do. You can find me at, at Kirobon, K-I-I-R-O-B-O-N. That's my personal Twitter. And then the illustrious Weekly Shogakukan edition can be found at at WSS Talkback on Twitter and also WSSTalkback.blogspot.com. We're always looking for people that write about ShogakuCon related things. We focus on Sun and Sunday, but they think ShogakuCon's fine. And we always would love to hear from other people. Um, I'm also on a, well, going away from ShogakuCon, I'm also on a Dragon Ball podcast with a friend called Another Day, Another Adventure at Another DV Pod. So you definitely check that out. Too. I love how you have to pop face <laughs> Silence. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um that's where you can find me. Wonderful. Definitely check out these folks' fine work. Um, yeah, just podcast. started following. Oh wonderful. Yeah, definitely follow them on social for the latest news as Akaki will love to break on <laughs> Weekly Chicago Edition Twitter. And VR too often at cons and such. But indeed, as for me, you can find me at Lomomiasha on Twitter. I'll also probably be posting a lot more about USA this year in excitement and anticipation <laughs> of the news. So follow me on there. And you can find me as Lomomiasha writing places like Annie List and Letterboxd, wherever there's Lomomiasha. That's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on MongoRise.com. We got a lot of reviews coming in and a lot of reviews coming out. And definitely there will be a lot more Mukutakahashi manga reviews this year as well. So definitely look forward to more on there. And that's where you can also find this podcast, Lum Squad. And you can also find Lum Squad in every podcast platform you can think of. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. Basically wherever you can think of find a podcast, we're on there. And you can follow us on Twitter at Lum underscore squad. And if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you can certainly do so. You can also send us an email at lumsquadpod at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear guys' feedback, your thoughts on new Yurziatsu anime news, what you're excited about it, and what you're looking forward to. Definitely 
send us a line, send us your thoughts, and we'd love to read out your comments on the show. And if you want to, like, leave us a review or rating on any podcast platform you visit, especially Apple Podcasts, that also helps us gain more visibility and reach more hearts and minds of fellow lum fans and burgeoning stormtroopers <laughs> coming this up, year. I'll tell you what. Oh yeah, we're going to see a lot more Meganase in the world come <laughs> the time of this new anime, <laughs> I am sure. And if you like the art I made for the podcast, like the Urziatsa-related art I do for Love Squad, you can find that stuff and the other art I do on my Instagram, Acid Artworks. And if you want to support the show, help us continue producing more episodes, and help us continue to get more materials for our podcast, you can support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where we have a variety of tiers in which you can put support and gain some special perks. Like, we have a $2 early access tiers to podcasts that are done early, which sometimes can be weeks to months in advance, so that can often be a very cool perk if you want some early access to podcasts before they go publicly. And we have a popular bonus pod tier in which you can get monthly exclusive bonus podcasts. Uh, oftentimes of really great length, like our recent retrospective on the past year of Shonen Jump, all of Shonen Jump in 2021, every series we talked about it for a good three and a half hours. So if you want meaty bonus podcast content from me and my good friends, you can definitely check that out on our bonus pod tier. And if you want early episodes of Another Day and Another Adventure with Takaki on, that's also up early quite a while in advance of when they go publicly at our street art here. So a lot of cool bonus content stuff on our Patreon as a thanks for you, you know, pledging some support to us and helping us keep our shows going. And it really means the world to us that not only do you listen to us and enjoy our show, but that you be kind enough to support us. That really, really is thoughtful. We appreciate it all. Hey, join the patron or break your arms. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not <laughs> twisting anyone's arms here. But genuinely, like, thank you guys so much. I'm the muscle of this operation. <laughs> and, yeah, also, of course, mentioning the Mindless Patreon, if you want to follow Manga Mavericks, the podcast I do where we talk about manga as a medium and as an industry, you can follow that on Twitter at Mongers for Mavericks. And YouTube, YouTube.com. MangaMavericks and Tumblr, MangaMavericks.com, and of course on MangaMavericks.com. So you can find that podcast there and also every podcast platform of choice. And yeah, we definitely have more classic manga discussion in the work this year. And as I mentioned before, we did a Yurusi Yatsura manga episode a few years ago with Donald the Man in the South of the Podcast. And it was a great time. We definitely talked about like our thoughts and dreams of a potential Yurusi Yatsura reboot here. And it seems that some of our wishes haven't come to pass this discuss. So definitely revisit that episode for some additional Yurusi Yatsura combo and look forward to more episodes among us in the future. But yeah, we want to thank you for joining us for this really special episode to talk about like this really special news. A new year, new podcast, new anime, just so much to be excited about. 
and we are so excited to have you guys on the journey with us to cover all the exciting stuff that's going to happen with your Seattle this year. But until then, I'm going to say sign out to you, darlings, and we'll see you in the next one. See you later. Bye-bye.